0: Hello, my name is James Pikeway, and I'm the host of Creative Mornings right here in Dubai. You're listening to the Creative Mornings Dubai podcast. Every month, we invite everybody in Dubai to join us at the Nest in the Trip Hotel, that's in Barsha Heights, for a coffee and cool morning lecture on a theme. This month, the theme was chaos. Jonathan Richards was our speaker, and Jonathan is the Director of Digital Strategy from the Gulf News. He spoke to us about the utility and symmetry of chaos and how seemingly chaotic things can and do, especially in his work of tracking and directing audiences, lead to elegance, uniformity, and even direction. Creative Mornings in Dubai is made possible by Innerfight, Digital Nexa, and The Nest. We get global support from wordpress.com, Adobe, Mailchimp, and of course, the HQ of Creative Mornings right there in New York City. If you want to follow us, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at CM underscore Dubai and Facebook Creative Mornings Dubai. But hey, enough of me. Let's get into the chaos with Jonathan Richards from the Gulf News. This is the Creative Mornings Dubai podcast.
1: I can't apologize enough for being so late. And it wasn't deliberate. I was going to be slightly deliberately late, but then something else happened. I don't want to go into that right now. I will go into that maybe a bit later, but I've had some chaos thrown into my life this morning. And actually, that wasn't planned at all. Um, how many of you, like me this morning, use Google Maps to get here? How many used a clock, like me this morning, to try and get here on time? Yeah. Okay. So our place in time and space is how we organise ourselves. This physical body, this brain that we house in our actual physical selves, is how we organise ourselves in time and space. But Earth is also moving through time and space. And that's how Einstein said, you know what, we need a rule for this. How do we actually know what's going on in the universe? We need some rules to this order. It seems like chaos out there. There's asteroids flying around. There's the moon. There's gravity. We don't really know how all this stuff works. So let's create a general rule of relativity so we know where we all are. So there's order in the chaos. And that's the most amazing thing because you know what? I don't believe in chaos. I don't believe it. In fact, actually, I fear order more than chaos. But, in nature, there is order. There's always order. And that's the beautiful thing. We actually live in a universe that wants order. This is the uh, cellular structure of a flower. Look at the hexagons. This is a beehive. Look at the hexagons. Why are they hexagons? Because it's, it's the simplest shape to make. It tessellates. It means that bees can actually be much more efficient. It's the most efficient and easy shape to make. If you try and blow bubbles, try and blow a square bubble. You can't. It's a sphere. Why is it a sphere? Because gravity wants it to be a sphere. Nature has order. It wants order. It's the most efficient thing to do to have order. That's quite a terrifying shape still the shape, it's still a beautiful shape, it's a swirl, it means that gravity is working, the earth
0: is spinning, that's fantastic, but it's a
1: terrible beauty. As Keith said, it's a terrible beauty. But it's still
2: order. It's order. It's just that we get
1: in the way of order. Destruction. Unfortunately, tragically, death. Now, in that order of things, is that a bad thing? Hurricane Florence doesn't know that it's not meant to cause death and destruction doesn't know that. It's just a hurricane. It's just wind. It's molecules moving around very, very fast, 100 miles an hour, causing all this death and destruction. But it doesn't know it's not meant to cause that destruction. Unfortunately, for the people in um, America, they actually tried to actually prevent that destruction. In fact, they were told not to shoot at. Hurricane Florence, in order to try and frighten it away, because you actually can't frighten a hurricane. I think it's a bit of a hoax, but again, it's amazing how we actually try and personify things. So we actually call them names. Yes, that's to categorise them, make sure that we know that one hurricane isn't another hurricane. But in order to actually personify it and make sure we can keep control of this order, this this chaos that we perceive, we give things names. We try and personify it, we try and get angry against it, or we're we're, we're devastated by it, but nature doesn't really care. So this is a very British way to cope with that kind of chaos. And I know that us British, we're very well-known for um, talking about the weather. And the reason that we talk about the weather, it changes so often in Britain. But I don't actually think that that's the real reason that we actually talk about the weather. I think the real reason that we talk about the weather is because we want to start a conversation with someone. Or that actually underneath that very polite conversation that you see here is a seething, writhing mass of emotion and nihilism. So let's just examine this just for one second. Your colleague comes in one morning uh, in Britain, in London perhaps, and says, "Um, it just doesn't seem to stop raining, does it? And you say, well, it'll get brighter soon, I expect. And then your colleague says, well, I, I don't think so, it's going to keep raining all week. What's going on here, really? Well, actually, maybe the colleague is saying, I'm really depressed, and I don't think I'm ever going to get over this depression. And your colleague is saying no well don't worry I think things will get brighter I mean you know cheer up it'll be okay and then your colleague is actually saying no 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 don't you dare tell me I'm depressed I'm depressed and I'm not going to go for it so don't you dare tell me that this is the actual thing that's actually going on underneath an awful lot of conversation so actually when we actually start to pick apart the order of things that we think are there actually is there something seething underneath and from a psychological point of view whether it's nature or whether it's humanity, is there actually really something else that's going on? So I want to try an experiment, and actually I think this is an experiment that will probably fail because we may not have statistically enough people in the room to make this actually work. However, there is the something called the birthday paradox. Do you know the birthday paradox? Okay. So if you get over two hundred people in a room, it's quite likely that two people will share the same birthday. But what we're going to do, because I knew that we would have 200 people in the room, is try seven random people and see that if you have a birthday within a week of each other, right? seven days of each other. So let's just go around seven people. So James, you're going to have to keep a record of their actual birthdays. Let's just, I'm going to pick it random. So I'm just going to pick this middle row. So this middle row over here, can you tell me what your birthday is? Yeah, first of April. Yeah.
2: 26th of March. Oh. Oh. That's already done. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I wasn't expecting, I was at least expecting to get to number seven or number five. Okay, amazing. So look, randomness, randomness isn't as random as you think it is. There are numbers, the, the universe is ruled by maths. How many of you um, in your uh, native tongue can't read? How many in your native tongue can't write? How many of you would say that you're bad at maths? Shame on me and shame on you. Because maths rules the universe. If you want to understand the universe, understand maths. Because we all say that we're bad at maths. Isn't Isn't it awful? Actually, I would rather teach maths more than any other subject. Mm -hmm. And one person in the world that we know who uses maths all the time to divert us away from the order and the chaos is this man. Mm -hmm. But let's look at some maths. So I've got a disease. I think I've got a disease, and it's called Trumpitis. Mm -hmm. And um, in this disease, the symptoms are orange hair, small hands, and it's a tendency to exaggerate one, one's own self-importance. Um, and um, I've done a test. I've done this medical test to see whether or not I've got uh, Trumpitis. Um, but unfortunately, that test is not always accurate. So um, the chances of that test coming back positive, which they have, oh dear, it looks like I've got Trumpitis, um, is 90%. But the likelihood that I don't have it, uh, uh, given that I've tested positive, is nine percent because the test isn't always accurate. What are my chances of having trampitis? I know it's really early in the morning. I know I was really late, and you've done Marco did an amazing job of keeping you all very very occupied. But what's the answer to that? What are the li- what's the li- have a stab, have a guess. What do you think is the likelihood that I've got trampitis? Ninety percent. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. I'll go with 90%. It's not a bad answer. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a lot less. Because actually, if you think about how many people might have in the population of Trump writers, then, got, then you might have your real answer. So, for example, if 90 out of 100 people are likely to have Trump writers, 10 don't. Out of that 10, given 9% who don't have it test positive, 9% of 10 is actually approximately 1. Out of 100 okay so it's actually quite likely that in an instance where there is less sorry there is more likelihood in the population that i have trumpitis and it's more likely that i might have however if there is less likelihood of trumpitis in the overall general population then actually it is um, less likely that i have trumpitis in fact it's eight times less likely and this is called the base rate fallacy. And there are all sorts of fallacies in numbers that we're given all the time. So there's um, uh, all sorts of biases and things that you need to be wary of when it comes to numbers. But also numbers can be incredibly useful at modelling that chaos. So when the order is used to disguise or we're always told lies, damn lies and statistics, but actually sometimes uh, modelling can be actually used to be useful. So, for example, I would really encourage you, even if it's just putting a load of numbers in Excel and using the filters in Excel to model your data, I know you're all creative, and that's all fantastic, but I'm pretty sure that you get briefs, and horrible briefs, with numbers in them. We're trying to get 80% of females, or um, we know that our product works with 49% of this, or the lower of Actually, when you start modeling the data and actually looking at it properly, is it really telling you the truth? And actually, when you start looking at the patterns, what does it
2: really tell you? Um, the numbers here behind here are actually 10,000 articles that I
1: usually um, uh, analyze for Gulf News. And then I model those into whether they have above average time on page, and above average time on uh, in terms of page views. And actually, then you start to see scatter graphs. When you start to see scatter graphs, each one of these points is a data point. And I can actually draw down into those data points and actually find out what they actually really are what are those stories and what's working So patterns are really crucial to understanding the chaos that we think that we see. And actually we really shouldn't confuse chaos with complexity. Sometimes things are just complex because they're complex. And what you need to do is bring order to that complex and numbers and mass are a fantastic way of doing it. Histogram, for example, can really tell you where there are gaps, where there are outliers. This is Monique Stern. And when she looked at the stats, she was actually brought to uh, Vietnam just after the war with her husband. And they started looking at malnutrition. In fact, they were given six months to solve malnutrition in Vietnam. Otherwise, they were put on a plane and sent home. And what her and her husband did was they looked at all the stats and they saw that actually, um, out of the number of people who were malnutrition, there were some parents who had children who were actually reasonably well nourished and they said well rather than talking to all these people who are malnourished can we talk to the parents who have children who are not malnourished and see what's going on there and actually what they discovered was that those parents were taking things from the paddy fields and the rice fields like crabs or small morsels of, of, of protein uh, leaves that were available in the actual fields themselves however poor you were and then feeding their children several times a day rather than once or twice a day, and they spread this news. They spread this news to all the parents who uh, had, had malnutrition children in Vietnam, and they solved malnutrition by forty percent within six months. Monique Sternen, do look her up on TED Talks. She's absolutely fantastic. She uh, says that really she she calls it positive deviance. So don't just look for the negative stuff in chaos. Look for the positive things. Maybe there's something that's come out of this in the terms of a stat that's actually working that seems to buck the trend. But how easy is it for us as human beings to be focused on the negative and the bad stuff? Solve the bad stuff. Always solve the bad things. Solve your weaknesses. Don't, solve your, no, no, don't improve on your strengths. Solve your weaknesses. Because that always seems to be the thing to do. But actually, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to the all the positives. And here's another warning I have. Order is not permanence. You lucky, lucky people have me on loan for the next 15 minutes. I will leave this place. You may never see me again. Making you even luckier, actually, probably. (laughs) We're all known to each other. We're all known. People die. I will die, you will die. We are all known to each other. Do not confuse order with permanence. And that's the wonderful thing about the human brain. Because the
2: human brain is not a permanent thing. It's elastic. It's plastic. It changes, it
1: evolves. MRI scans show us that we are changing how we consume information. This is very interesting to me at Gulf News because I'm constantly told about mobile. And I'm constantly told, oh, we have the attention span of a goldfish, no doubt. Even though I'm really boring and horrible, I'm pretty sure that you've been paying attention to me more than eight times. Why do we think we have the attention span of a goldfish? Because we are better at filtering all the information We get exposed to more information in one day than someone did living in the 1500s for their entire life. We've had to get better at filtering. We filter out the rubbish, like Trump, for example. We know that we're quite good at actually knowing what's rubbish and what isn't rubbish, and that's a really, really good thing, and I've got some really, really good news for you. As creatives, be completely lazy when it comes to that kind of thing. Let your brain do the work. Now, I'm not saying that you should actually just hole up on a sofa somewhere and eat chips, but maybe, maybe there's a huge uh, swell of, of, of research that, that, that supports this. Maybe you need to let the brain do its magic. Because you, the little internal voice that's looking at me right now going, this git was really late and now I'm really late and uh, I wish you'd hurry up and, and shut up. That little interior monologue that's going on in, in your voice now, you, in part of your brain, is the least of your brain's troubles at the minute. You are a tiny part of what your brain actually does. All the geographical areas of your brain right now, even your gut, did you know you have a second brain in your gut? You, you produce neurotransmitters in your gut, which actually tells your, your uh, intestines how to work. It's got too much on. It's trying to devolve all the responsibility for everything. Now, sometimes what you need to do is you just have to work really, really hard, research on your brief, learn, try as much as you hard, and then completely and utterly go and do something else. Go to sleep. Change your route to work.
2: Be disruptive to yourself, because your brain will actually start working away
1: by itself and coming up with answers. And actually sometimes we try so hard to come up with an answer, we actually don't give our brain any time to actually come up with the answer. And one of the other things I fear in terms of order is this, our own constructs. This is um, a campaign, I'm sure you've seen it, it's called Like a Girl, it's done for always. And in this campaign, if you don't know it, um, they got adult uh, women, uh, teenage women and boys to say, throw a ball like a girl. So they did, and they did this. Very daintily, very fragile. And then they asked girls to throw like a girl. And they did this. And they threw it really well. Because girls at that stage have no construct of what it is to throw like a girl. And this is the key thing, especially you as creatives as you're doing briefs, they found that 49% of women, when they get to teenage years, fear failure. So here's a classic example of creativity using insight. So 49%, that's a statistic, there's maths, And now we're going to create something out of those masks to actually create something wonderful. Unearth a human psychological insight. That girls have no construct, no filter, no editing on who they are. But I challenge you to look at yourself in the mirror today and actually challenge what constructs have I held so dear for my entire life that I'm still actually following those constructs even though they might be a load of nonsense. How self-limiting are you? How much order have you placed on yourself that you now actually can't be the person that you should be? One person who did this spectacularly against order is Rosa Parks. She refused to get up for a white person and was born a revolution. In fact, that revolution was already happening, but again, it takes someone really brave to go, the order is not right. Maybe we need to rebel against this order. Maybe something is wrong here. So again, I don't fear chaos. I fear order. I fear the order I give myself. I fear the order that society gives me. I fear order. But we all know this image. Again,
2: he's rebelling. It feels like he's rebelling. It's just a national anthem. It's just
1: music, it's just notes, it's just air. But what a symbol of rebellion, because the order is wrong, he's saying that something is wrong. And of course you can turn that into something creative, can't you? This is Nike, Nike's recent campaign. Um, But of course, other people started to rebel against that as well. And they started burning Nike products. And then Nike responded to that chaos with this, how to burn our (laughs) products. So here's how to be creative out of chaos. You don't, Nike wasn't afraid of that chaos happening. They used it. They said, hey, maybe we can turn this into something really funny, really good, really, really positive. And Nike shares have gone up by millions of dollars and they've actually sold millions in terms of products. So actually, sometimes chaos is a good thing if you use it in the right way, in the positive way. So I've got, finally, I've got some rules for chaos. And there are these. Be observant. Use data. Don't be afraid of data. And if someone says, oh, there's too much data, tell them to show up. Put it into an Excel spreadsheet and make it work, because you can't have enough data. What you can have enough of is not enough modeling. By the way, though, there are no such thing as the perfect model, only better ones, Okay? So you can't can't get the perfect data model. REST. Turn off the filter. This one I cannot employ you enough to do. Turn off the filter. Ask the right questions. Ask the better question, you get a better answer. Be curious, change your habits, even on the way to work, like I did this morning. Change your habits, try something different, try something new, try something different for lunch. Do something different that changes your brain and the way it works. Be be a rebel, and finally, Do not be afraid of chaos, because you know what? I actually don't think there is such a thing as chaos, only what exists in our mind. And just to leave you finally with someone who is far more intelligent and far more brilliant than I am, of Einstein, who actually said, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind, a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. So when you're looking at order or you're looking at chaos, don't think about, don't think, wife, do not (laughs) (laughs) think, chaos, more chaos, brilliant, brilliant, point. don't think about yourself and your constructs. I would challenge you if you want to reframe a problem, do this. Write down your core belief of what you think that problem is. Write down all your supporting beliefs. Then write down the opposite of those supporting beliefs, however crazy and stupid that that might be, and then come up with a new core belief. Because you know what? I think most chaos is about what we believe is chaos. Thank you very much.
2: You've, you've sat through, you've heard Richard, Jonathan talk to us about how this works. He applies this. And I, I want to lead off with the first question. If you walked through this idea of chaos. Yeah. You hinted at the Gulf News and looking at yes. how do we take the hard copy and the soft yeah. copy and make this work. How open are people to listening to these ideas <laughs> um, and applying? They're not generally. Um, I think in terms of uh, if 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 I talk about my own team and where Swati is
1: she here? No, okay, she had to go probably. Um, Swati, bless her, okay. has to put up with all <laughs> all the things that I put on front her. Um, in my own team, I I, I actually think they are incredibly open um, and 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 want to do well. But when you're looking at structures that have existed for many 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 years, um, including like printing presses which are engineering and printing presses are quite permanent I don't know if you've ever seen a printing press it's huge, I mean it's four stories high Um, there are uh, if you go to our facility in DIP there are robots running around with huge rolls of paper if you step in front of them uh, they stop thankfully Um, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the most sophisticated printing presses in the world, it's an incredible ballet of organisation but How much in print organisations over the world has that organisation also led to their downfall? Because actually we can get so attuned to that level of organisation that actually it becomes difficult to get out of. We, We can't actually see out of that. You're bedded in. Suddenly there's lots of cost. Suddenly you have to make it work. In fact, actually any printer in the world will actually tell you that the one thing you shouldn't do with a printing press is ever let it rest. You have to keep it occupied all times. So order, actually, in that case, and actually getting people to change is actually very difficult. Um, My focus usually is actually to tell people, look, um, when you start weighing up these uh, very subjective things that you have to do, especially when it comes to change, put some numbers against it. Even if it's very first subjective and soft, are you 90% sure, are you 70% sure, are you 60% sure? Because actually when you start, start coming to change, you actually start putting numbers against change and what people have got to do. Something very different happens. The emotion is taken out of it and suddenly you can see things on paper. So even though I said, follow your intuition, you also have to have that balance where you actually just have to look at reality and what changes. But I think in terms of innovation and what and, and, and getting people to, to change. Once you get your numbers right, and actually, you know, this is one of thing the things one of my biggest regrets in every job that I ever go into. And I never follow my instincts, never. And I swear to you, you can, you can come to me and punch me in the face next time I don't do it. I am going to follow my instincts because my instinct in every single job is get the data right, tell people what the truth is however bad it is, and then change from there. Because you need to face the truth. You're going to reach change, you need to face the truth. So that's how. But also, I think you need to be positive and motivated. And there is hope, and there is vision, and you can make things better, and that, you, you have to hold that belief in. Do we
0: have another question? Yes.
1: In, 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 in a way, you need to understand what's really going on, yeah. yes. Uh, you know, in, in, there, are, there are instances where you should actually just let chaos happen. Absolutely, there's no question. But also, actually, you need to understand what's going on. You need to question why you think it's chaos. Why do you think it's chaos? Because your construct of chaos is not my construct of chaos. One person's um, uh, freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. So you need to think about the world in a very, very different way, depending on where you've come from. So again, how do you construct chaos? For me, a paper clip out of order in my office is chaos. Absolute chaos. But when <laughs> but, but someone but someone who else who who, who gave into my office might feel that that's that's their version of chaos. In fact, actually they actually feel that they're more ordered in the pyramid pyramid system of paperwork, which i.e. You spill up a pyramid of paperwork and whatever rises to the top is the one thing that you need you need to be concentrating on. So I think it's how you deal with chaos and yeah, how I your this. That's is. Right. Where does it sit within determinism and free will? <laughs> okay, now you're getting so into I, I I deliberately avoided that slide. I actually deleted it yesterday <laughs> in terms of determinism and free will. Let's not go there. No, 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 you can't. Let's not go there because, you know what, I think that's about personal belief. Now, if you want me from a, I'm a scientist, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in mystery, blah, 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 Um, I would actually go that the universe is so much order that there probably is some level of determinism. But, you know what, that's a personal thing. i i i'm more worried about that sometimes the determinism that we can have actually within ourselves is dictated to by society and our parents and everything else and that is my problem that is my problem and my problem is that actually when you start to deconstruct that and you actually start to understand that then only then can you actually move outside of that and actually create a new order that actually works. And again, please do not confuse order with either permanence or complexity, or it, it's, it's not necessarily right. And look at Copernic, uh, look what he's doing, look at Trump. The order that he's creating is wrong, it's a construct. And actually that determinism, led by actually a minority, probably, is very 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 bad. So that's how I would I would I would view determinism. Is it really you? <laughs> is it you? Is it the universe? I don't think it is. I think it's humanity, and we've actually caused our own chaos. Actually, do you have another question? Yes. Um, paperclip you
2: must be very OCD. Honestly, outside of things. Okay. Uh, chaos is not to be good Chaos is good. Uh, chaos is intuitive, you know, chaos is instinct. Out of chaos comes good stuff. But you talk a lot about data as well. And what I'm finding more and more in this contemporary world is that whether you're in a creative industry or using something or a campaign or whatever, people rely more and more on data, on analysis of data, on extracting what they think is the right answer from data. And I feel that more often than not, they're missing, they're not hitting. And I think that's because they're completely dismissing that whole aspect of using your intuition. But um, since you're something that with both data
1: and like how do you reconcile that? Because there is a human story behind all those dots on the scatter plot. That's why. Because actually, when you start to model data and you actually start to understand the behavior that it really represents, you actually then start to come to understand it. So for example, if you run a survey, I can guarantee you what people say they do and then what people actually do are always different. And once you actually start to actually realize that truth, data actually starts to make sense. So this is how you can reconcile that. And again, I actually believe that humans are incredibly predictable, unfortunately. (laughs) But, uh, and when you actually do start analyzing that data, it can tell you very obvious things. I think the reason that people get skewed by data is because they start looking at the minutiae of it and start believing it. What you really should do with data is actually get rid of the trash that's what you're really trying to do with data. You're trying to actually get rid of the rubbish that you know you shouldn't be actually concentrating on. And that's where data modeling is incredibly useful. So, and, and don't forget to see, again, data for me is the fight against um, human ability to skew everything. Mm-hmm. So you, I won't go into uh, names, but in organizations I've worked for, um, you are told certain things. And when you are told those certain things, you are told that they are true and they are fact. And where data comes in can prove that actually the opposite is, 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 is the case. So I, I, I get your meaning, especially in terms of, of, of overall uh, data analysis. But when it comes to big data and someone who really understands it, not just from a modeling point of view in terms of stats and understands outliers, mode, median, mean, etc., but actually understand it from a human point of view and what it really means in terms of its effect, I think would be a very powerful way of actually getting to the truth very <clears> powerful. <throat> because when you show it on the screen and you show the patterns shift, you cannot argue with it. And this is why I would encourage all of you, whether you're doing English, whether you're doing language, whether you're painting, whether you're scribbling on bits of paper. I don't really care. If you don't learn maths, you will not get on in the world. If you do not learn some level of data analysis statistics, you will not get on in the world. Whether there are computers and AI or not, you must understand the maths. Do
2: we have time do we have time for one more question? No. You said your team is a bit open minded. What data do you collect to see the changes in patterns from when you
1: got there and as the team evolves together? So I have a, well, I'm getting really dull now because we're going into into how I model KPIs, but basically um, I look at the human behavior on our website, for example, so we have around five million uniques every month, roughly. And out of those five million uniques, what I try and do is I don't just look for page views, which is the normal metric that everyone tries to shove in your face as a, as a measure of success. Normally, it's actually about average time on page, scroll depth, how far down do they actually read? So those sorts of things I can actually see change, and then I actually attribute that to actual content. So again, journalists uh, live for the story, and they don't care whether their story makes any money. I do, because I have to, because otherwise I'm have a job. So I actually attribute stories to how successful they are, and then I tell the content team, you need to do this, and the advertising team, you need to do this. So I measure those metrics because stories have to make money. So I drill down to actual specific uh, topics that do really well. Um it's no surprise to tell you in the UAE, for example, that we're very interested in holidays or saving money or making money or yeah, you know, and I know these things and I can predict these things, so I try and put most of my advertising there for example. Yeah, um you just tested what was asked, but
2: so you follow data and humans are predictable uh, in an industry like journalism and online media. If you want to follow the pattern and tell your content to do more of the content that works, then the content is probably to bad, right? In terms of like just the holiday articles, but, but the real important stuff is not going to be there because the it doesn't sell, and nobody really, reading it. So how do you balance between?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, a very good question. It's a very good question. I call it the filter bubble. Actually, many people call it the filter bubble. Actually, many people call it the filter bubble. So, very interesting now. If you look at most news sites, they actually have algorithms that actually start putting up content which you they think that you're going to like based on your previous behaviours. I cannot imagine anything worse. Anything worse. In fact, I've kind of banned it from my website. I'm about to, we're about to relaunch the Gulf News website, by the way, it's going to look completely different amazing, smarties, a large part of that, um, but I've almost banned that, because I think actually if you've ever used, um, was it Flipboard, yeah, you'll bore yourself within about a week. Because if you put in your own topics and your own subjects, you kind of hate yourself after a while. You really will. You go, oh my God, really? Tech stuff again? Am I that boring? Yes, you are. Yes, that is a mirror of you. Look at your own apps and your phone. See how boring you are. So I think you have to fight, place that fine balance between what people need and want. Because actually, if you look at a lot of content that we produce at Goldfields, which we've never really promoted very well, is that we've got a huge wealth of knowledge about your life here, how to get a visa, how to rent a property, how to sell a car. Um, there are all sorts of rules around selling the car you probably didn't even know you had, for example, um, did you know that if you sell a car privately to someone else in this region, that you actually are responsible for that car's warranty for a year, personally? Did you know that? No? And we hold this whole wealth of knowledge. So actually, we know that people want that, and that's good to provide. But on the other hand, we also know that there's a load of stuff that people need to discover. And that is the balance. So you're quite right. People don't know what they do, that they don't need to know.
2: <laughs> I wanna I, I would love to keep taking questions. I know that you're all pressed for time. We've got people who've got to get back to the office, gotta get back to class. Uh, Jonathan is here. I'm sure you can come up if you've got some questions to ask him. Absolutely thank you. For, right. So sorry, I'll So sorry. For for getting here and, and for doing this talk. Yeah. Uh, really interesting. Thank you. Okay. And we didn't Thank you from Marco, though. I think round of applause, actually.
1: <laughs> and, <laughs>
2: And again, thank you to everyone who stuck around. We're doing it again next month on the 17th. Muhammad Harb is going to be joining us. He's going to be talking about honesty. Uh, we'll keep in touch. Swati, who you keep hearing about, works with us here. She sends out all our mailers and things. So she'll be sending something out to remind you. If you're not on the mailing list, please do go sign up for Creative Warnings and get on it with us. And thank you. Thank you all for coming. You deserve a big round of applause. See you next